0: Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that. Uh, That way, if I blank or lose my place, it won't be the first one this morning, right? (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, Let me get a little prepared here so that I don't. All right. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. It's good to be here this morning. My name is Ken Tu. It's spelled T-E-W and pronounced like the number two. Uh, by way of giving you a little information about me, I've been married uh, 28 years to Anda, A-N-D-A, and I have three kids. I have a son who graduated from Cedarville last May. I have a daughter who is getting ready to graduate from Mount Vernon this December, and my youngest daughter graduated from high school this May. Um, One of the things that Justin suggested we do as part of our introduction is to kind of let you know how did me and my family get here as a new community. Um, we've had an interesting um, church life. We've had an interesting journey in Dayton. We moved to Dayton in 2001. Um, we pretty quickly joined a young adult ministry. Uh, we were not young adults at the time. We were the oldest. We were the only ones with kids, uh, pretty much. And we watched that young body of believers become a church. Uh, We eventually bought a building. We embraced the house church model, and that was, you know, Apex Kettering, and we watched Apex Kettering plant Apex Xenia, and we were able to watch this body of believers a bit from a distance, and then um, we saw when it was time for us to make a change, this is one of the first places we came, and we've been attending here since uh, in-person started back after COVID. So also by way of introduction, I'm a software engineer. So yes, that means I relate to numbers and computers better than people. Um, The good news is I have found that I do enjoy teaching in group settings. I've spent many years teaching elementary age kids. So um, I I spoke once before and I made the joke, you know, I'll try not to use some of the techniques that I use with the kids on you, but but just understand that that is my background. Uh, I also coach soccer, and I've had an opportunity to give some presentations. And I found that I do enjoy this challenge of teaching. And when Justin introduced that he was going to have a class on the basics of preaching, um, I took it because it seemed like an interesting challenge. And I would highly recommend it to anyone who wants to um, speak God's truth to others in a better way. Um, it might not be that this is where you end up, but I'll say, one, you never know. You never know how God will use you when you start applying your brain, your feet, and your legs to his actions and to his call. And also, we're, we're all called to communicate his truth better, and we obviously live in a world that needs to hear the good news of the Trinity. The workers are few, and the harvest is plentiful. So we're going to dig into a section of Jesus's, um, we'll call it the Sermon on the Plain. Um, and so as we go to this, um, as we go into this, I'd like to pray for us. I'd like to pray that what the Lord has placed in my head, and hopefully comes clearly out of my mouth, will lead us to remember our place, our identity before God, our role, who we're to be in response to that, and that you would be sent here as a laborer for the Lord. As a lover of God, let's pray. Deep breath, Father. I thank you for this opportunity. I ask you uh, to uh, calm my beating heart and my nerves. And but first and foremost, Father, I pray that um, that goal will be reached. That that um, what you have placed for me to say today uh, leads us to understand who you are better. Leads us to understand our identity, our who we're to be. in light light of that, and in that, then we are equipped and able to go do, and we thank you for your love and your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so let me set up what we've been sharing over the last few months. Our lead pastor, our uh, teaching lead, team lead, Justin, has been leading us through the gospel of Luke, and in many ways, Luke is, the gospel of Luke is Luke 1, with Luke 2 being Acts. They're probably written at the same time and put together at the same time, and Luke describes at the beginning that he's writing to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. And he is writing an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And as it says on the slide there, Theophilus means lover of God. And we've been looking at ways and we've been pulling out to better understand what Luke is trying to ta- tell us as lovers of God and if you've been coming for a while, maybe you notice that we skipped a section. Maybe you didn't. I didn't, even though I was actually knowing it was coming. Uh, we skipped a section, and that section is referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. And this Sermon on the Plain mirrors the content of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And maybe uh, they're the same, maybe they're different, but they certainly mirror each other. And, I'll, I'll bring up that in this, that Apex Zinia is committed to equipping the body, right? We're equipping the body to be the laborers. And part of that vision is Justin's class. The part where uh, some of us get the opportunity to, that aren't professionally speakers, to come and speak and to be laborers uh, with the paid staff, right? And so we saw Jake and Dave get this, this mini-series started and next week, someone named Zach will come and he will wrap that up. And it's, I hope that it's given us a chance to hear some other voices and maybe some slightly different perspectives. And I will say that I'm, I'm looking forward to this next hour or so. Just kidding. <laughs> I am looking forward to it, but I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm hopeful it doesn't feel like it's an hour. So let me try to take a little bit of time. I have a lot of time devoted to setting things up, and my hope is that as we approach this passage today, that at, at least in this moment, that we wouldn't be approaching this text as this is a textbook on life, that we wouldn't be approaching this text today as this is an, a historic account of some disconnected people a long time ago. I hope that we can start to see that this is, this is our history. These events. Directly lead step by step to where we are today. This is the arc of God's story that brings us to our history. And so I'd hope that we could go even maybe even just a bit further and uh, enter into this moment as though we were there and we're remembering it. Um, I, for me, um, the more often that I'm able to do that, the more I'm amazed that we have a God that emptied himself and took on flesh and in doing so radically changed our internal future. So I remember the first time I remember the first time I saw the movie The Fellowship of the Ring. I grew up reading the books multiple times and I remember that first immersion into this movie world that was created for us, right? And when I left the theater, the person I went to see it with said, so there was a couple times during the movie, like more than a couple, like many times you kind of went, huh, and you went, hmm, what was that? And I said, well, there was this mix between finally getting to go someplace you've only been able to read about, right? And and a, but much more it was remembering what it was like to have been there, right? I had gone there through the reading. I had gone there, and this seeing it and being part of it reminded me of what it was like to be there, and I hope that we can kind of get to that today. Um, because you've read this passage, I'm sure, many times. You've probably been preached this passage many times. You've studied this passage fairly, fairly often, I'm sure, and we've heard it quoted. <clears throat> so if I just do that again, I, I don't know that I would be accomplishing what I'd want to accomplish. What I hope to accomplish is that we come a step closer to when we read our Bible that we can become so immersed in it that it's as if we're remembering what it would have been like to be there. So let me give it a shot. Let me cough again. (laughs) All right. So Jesus has started his public ministry when we get to this point. He's um, been healing. He's, um, there's been various negative interactions with the, the leaders of the day. He started calling his 12 disciples. Maybe he's called them all. These are the people that's going to follow him closely and much closer to his side throughout his earthly ministry keep in mind that um well let me actually sorry i'm skipping ahead in general the word is starting to get out that jesus is something special that people are starting to become they not all maybe at a place that is he the one is he the one is he the one we've been waiting for but but at least from a perspective of they know he's healing people they, they've seen him heal people they've seen his power and so um the people are starting to come, and so again, another movie slash TV. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to watch the series *Chosen*, and if you're like me, maybe you're questioning whether it was wise. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. So yeah, that was a contradiction. <laughs> um, but what I'm trying to say is, for me, this is far and away one of the best theatrical treatments of Jesus and his disciples. Um, the but the reason I question—I mean, the depiction of the, the humanity of the disciples themselves has really been challenging and really uh, refreshing, and an opportunity to to approach some of the texts maybe slightly different, remembering that how human they were. But the reason I kind of question it sometimes is because I, I have to remind myself it's not real, right? It is historical fiction, and it's certainly an opportunity. It's certainly one of those situations where. You cannot let watching the movie keep you from reading the book, right? We have to understand, in this case, the book is better than the movie. Uh, But, I do highly recommend it. And the reason I bring it up is that if you have been watching it, season two ends probably right at this moment, right? This is the cliffhanger. This is the part where Jesus is coming out and about ready to speak to a mass of people. The disciples, they have left their real life. They're walking from town to town. They're Making outdoor camps. They're surviving off of very little food and very little resources. Um, they can still feel the rock that they slept on last night. They're wondering maybe where their next meal's coming from, and they're they're surviving off the land. And also I think it's important, it was it was kind of only in this study time that I had for it that I was reminded, um, I'm not completely sure the relevance, but it it really kind of shocked me when I remembered it is um They're still Jews, right? At this moment, they are still trying to be orthodox, good Jews. They didn't set out on this journey to be a radical fringe that changed the world, right? They didn't set out on this world to be a group of people that were persecuted for their beliefs. They set out on this because they believed that they were following in the Jewish tradition, right? And they still did. They read the Law and the Prophets. They celebrated the festivals, they observed the sabbath all the cleanliness laws and so each time they were in front of jesus and in front of his teachings they were always challenged because they were being led to be good jews but jesus was starting to contradict things they were hearing so they were constantly having this battle of do i just absorb it because he heals people he's of god do i um think and uh, have to meditate and contemplate on these things because they're challenging. They're things that make me go, hmm, right? To the, the think about because they're contradictory. But the one thing they couldn't do is they couldn't leave unchanged, right? Every time Jesus spoke to a mass, there's usually, almost every time, there's usually this statement that leads us to believe that, that multitudes realized something was different, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, it says, uh, people were amazed at the authority at which he spoke, Right? So, being, leaving an encounter with Jesus, it is un, impossible to be unchanged. So, as we enter into the section that's called the Sermon on the the Plain that Jake started us off with a couple weeks ago, it reads, uh, Jake. I mean, Luke writes, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, "So, uh, so he and said, so his audience is is obviously his disciples when he starts out." And let's remember that when he's speaking to them, he knows them through and through, right? He knows what they're thinking. He knows not only what they think they need, he knows what they need, right? So he, said, he starts out by saying, uh, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And he's likely looking right at someone he knows that just had a conversation with him about how little money they have, right? And how that stresses them. And if we look at, um, if we're reminded by uh, what we talked about two weeks ago, a blessed person is someone who is uh, in an enviable position. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. And he's probably looking right at a disciple that that was busy wrangling the crowd and totally mislunched, right? And is wondering if we even have food left. Blessed are you who are weeping now, for you shall laugh, and he's looking at a disciple who's grieving or is struggling through some weakness. He then goes on to contrast those blessings with the woes, the oomph, as we heard, right? A body blow of sorts, and I think it's at this time that he begins to start scanning the crowd, and there's those Pharisees, right? And there's those religious leaders that might not quite be on board, right? But we leave this section with the idea that if we pursue Jesus in all things, um, it's an enviable position. It's, it's a position that we would want to be in, even if we're poor and hungry and crying. So in this transition, I, I, I assert that Jesus is starting to tighten his focus on the Pharisees, and he says, love your enemies. We, we went through this last week, and Dave referred to it as closing the loophole, and I, I, I like that. I like that idea that we as, hu- we as uh, humans are so apt to find that loophole, right? That rationalization, and Jesus called them on it, right? So the good Jew knows that we're supposed to love God. Got it. That's great. I can do that. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not so easy, but, but got it. I can do that. And thank you, because, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to love that guy, right? He is obviously not my neighbor. I know what he talks like. I know what kind of music he listens to. I know how he acts when people aren't around. And I know how he dresses. And I know where he lives. So, whew, good, I don't have to love him. And Jesus is saying, nope, you've got to love him too. You, you created a loophole, and I'm closing it. And he ends in this section with this, this uh, the phrase that says, uh, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. And so we finally get to the section that we're covering today. And let me read that for us. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and will be forgiven. And it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your laps. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of that the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not even see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So let's see if we can make some sense of what is going on here. So we see Jesus quickly transition uh, to some four quick statements. Uh, Do not judge. There's there's two do nots. Do not judge, do not condemn, and two do's. Do forgive and do give. So when I started my study, and maybe it did to you here today, it seems a little bit out of place. We've had blessings. We've had woes. And now uh, we've had love your enemies, and now we're talking about judgment and con- condemnation, forgiveness and giving. Um, it kind of felt a little bit like I'm watching something on streaming, and all of a sudden it goes all pixely, and then like all of a sudden they're talking again. And you're like, wait, how did we get here? I missed something. But as often as the case when, when we come to uh, come to the Bible, when we read the words, uh, we we get an opportunity to read. We go out and we live some life. We come back to the words and. The Holy Spirit is able to bring thoughts to mind, some clarity, and for me uh, what I came away with is this is continuing the message of mercy and grace, right? This is Jesus telling those in the audience what it means to be merciful and graceful. So if we see do not judge, you know, judgment is a lack of grace. When our reaction is to see the actions of others, and judge them then we are not acting in grace because it is ultimately god's grace that will see us past his judgment and into eternal life he calls us to not condemn he called the crowd to not condemn and you know this is a, a lack of mercy right we know mercy to be punishment that is deserved but not given and condemnation is punishment right so be merciful not condemning. Uh, and let us not remember, we don't actually have the power to condemn. Uh, he calls to forgive. Again, forgiveness is, is a show of mercy when when we don't require punishment of someone who has wronged us, we are forgiving them. We're called to this. Uh, giving, this is a sign of graciousness. Rather than holding on to a resource we've been given, we give it away. This is graceful, and when we give generously, we are exercising grace. So mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. That's what he says. Don't be not merciful. Don't be not gracious. Be merciful. Be gracious. Our Father in heaven is rich in mercy, and he lavishes us with grace. So we come to a parable. I'm not completely sure it fits the model of a parable that I'm used to, but Luke calls it one, and it's, you know, again, maybe a little bit glitchy, but I think we can get there. So Jesus says, how can a blind man lead a blind man? Won't they both fall into the pit? And how can a student be uh, the teacher before they even are a student? And they come right after this call to forgive and give. And so it seems to me a little disconnecting, but but I think the connection is this notion of this idea that if we ourselves have not been forgiven how can we be forgiving if we ourselves don't understand what it means to get that we have been given much how can we be giving and if we can't if we haven't we can't be forgiving and giving how can we lead others to that it's the blind leading the blind it's the student thinking they are the master and so we get to another transition. And in that transition, I see, uh, again, I assert that Jesus is bringing his focus more and more on the religious leaders that are likely in the audience. and I feel like he's turning up the heat more and more on them. And so next week, even, he's going to end it talking, he's going to say the, uh, the line, the ruin of that house was great. And if nothing else points to the idea that the house that the religious leaders are building is going to have a great ruin, I don't know what, what, what would point us to that. But anyway, Zach's going to clean that up. Zach's going to uh, help us with that uh, next week. But this is where Jesus is heading. And so we're going to cover this well-known passage. I'm going to read it again because I want to make sure that we're um, re- remembering it as we go through it. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So if I take those Try to take the truth out of those verses and maybe come up with a way that is um, uh, uh, my own words uh, to say those, uh, to maybe have a concrete takeaway for a main idea for today. It might would, I think it would look something like, how dare we spend any time and energy on calling out others' flaws, mistakes, or sins when we've spent so little time and energy on acknowledging our own flaws, learning from our own mistakes, confessing our own sins. In many ways, we are the blind leading the blind, and the student trying to lead the teacher. And even stronger, Jesus calls them out as hypocrites. So as any good speaker, I was excited about the opportunity to send a good, spend a good session doing some great word studies. You know, I had my online tools ready, I had my New Testament dictionary, all the right tools, and you know I was going to be able to study this, and I was going to come and sound all smart when I told you what the Greek word for hypocrite was, when I explained to you how it's even pronounced. So I was all ready. I had, you know, my pen and paper and notepad and everything ready to go, and I pulled up the first word I was going to study, hypocrite, and I pulled up the first online tool to start looking at it, and lo and behold, the Greek word for hypocrite is hypocrite. <laughs> Closed everything down. Shut it down. Word study session over. I didn't even have the heart to go on. There's no way I can feel smart anymore. But, but let's think of that for a second. When when the English, those who spoke English, first came in contact with this word hypocrite, and someone explained to them what they meant, they went, "We can't do any better than that." That is the right word for this situation. So when you call someone a hypocrite, when someone calls you a hypocrite, they are using the word that the scribes used in this text, right? That is the word. It is so strong and so clear as to what you are trying to say that it did not need to be changed. Uh, I mean, it's even spelled pretty much the same exact way, right? So, uh, so what does it mean to be a hypocrite? How, how does this word convey such power um, from language to language? So the most basic definition is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. I think the key word here is stated, right? It is so easy for us to get trapped in the idea that to say it means it's true. That in our, if we describe ourselves in a certain way, if we say we have value in something, then therefore we do, right? And that is when we, we run the risk of being hypocritical because others look at our actions and they don't match. Right? A company that says um, we are family-oriented business but they never take the time to understand how the stress of the job really is affecting families within the corporate, right? When we say, um, when I say that I'm really interested in being thinner and healthier, that's in direct contrast to the big gulp I drink every day and the ice cream I'm eating by the gallons, right? There's many ways in which we can find ourselves um, being hypocritical. And I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm gonna go off script. I came up with, I, I was struck by one this morning um uh, uh, yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot of things going on in our world today that um, is emotionally charged, right? And I'm uh, excited and and challenged uh, by the news of one thing and how things are going to uh, have opportunities to be better. And then right behind it, I'm, I'm hit with a body blow of things that I wonder if we're ever going to be better, right? And in one way, um, we're excited about the ways in which, um, I'm excited about ways in which the the, the rights of uh, the unborn might be have an opportunity to be protected. Um, but I'm also reminded that in many ways, uh, we're hypocritical if um, even the church is not a safe place for children and women, right? If we don't have a way in which women and children know that their leaders are going to care for them, protect them, um, then uh, to me that that seems hypocritical, right? If they if they're not even safe in in our churches, we we see too many times churches hit by challenges of of leaders not protecting women and not protecting children. Um, we've got to get ahead of this. We've got to get ahead of this. And it's at my at my office recently. We we had a near electrocution, and we didn't see that opportunity as we got lucky. Let's let we'll probably get lucky again, right? We've been fortunate here that we haven't had any. Um, incidences and it's I, not hearing anything like that, um, but that's too late, right? We need to be we need to be forceful, and I and I don't really know where I'm going with that. And again, this just hit me this morning uh, to even mention that, um, but I'm 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 tired of seeing uh, leaders uh, take advantage of the women and children in their care. So, it is hypocritical of us to say we love Jesus, but we haven't done a single thing to love our next-door neighbor that clearly needs a friend. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I am anyone in this room. So in this parable, we see that it is hypocritical to take out the speck in someone's eye when we have a log in our own. In in this log... Um, this was, I did actually come back and do a little bit of a Greek study. This log is the word, same word that we might use for these beams in this church, a structural piece of wood, right? There's a foundational structural issue here and you're worried about the speck in your brother's eyes. The Pharisees had foundational structural issues in their relationship to God and they spent time and energy on a whole lot of specks, right? Jesus dealt with He picked weed on the Sabbath, and, you know, he he healed on the Sabbath, and that is what they wanted to concentrate when they were missing a foundational issue, that this was the one, that he was the Savior. They were so blinded by their log, they were so blinded by their fundamental faith issues, that they couldn't rightly see what was going on. So let's revisit what I offered as a main idea. How dare we spend any time and energy on calling out others' flaws, mistakes, or sins when we spent so little time and energy on acknowledging our own flaws, learning from our own mistakes, and confessing our own sins. So why might God call us to spend time acknowledging our flaws? Um, I can tell you some reasons that don't apply. It's not to beat ourselves up. He doesn't call us to beat ourselves up. He doesn't call us to a place where we have the right amount of guilt for our past actions. He's not trying to lower our self esteem. When we acknowledge our own falls, if nothing else, we acknowledge that we are not God. We acknowledge that we are not perfect, and He is. And why might we learn from our own mistakes? And again, this isn't about being guilt ridden or victim minded, this is about growing. These mistakes lead us to a better place. These mistakes lead us to perseverance. These mistakes give us an opportunity to lead others through their mistakes. And when we confess our sins, boy, is this not a great place to remind us of our flaws? Is this not a place to remind us of our mistakes and acknowledge that we are not God? But all of these Are important because they remind those of us who believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and have been forever changed by this belief, we are reminded that we are washed by the blood, that we are lavished in his mercy, by his mercy, and we are cleansed by his grace. How can we forgive if we don't understand how much we've been forgiven? How can we lead others to forgive if we aren't actually in the business of forgiving? How can we give if we don't truly understand all that we have been given? And how can we lead others to give if we ourselves aren't giving? So I hope we've had a sense of remembering, remembering that Jesus was telling his disciples the bad news, right? The bad news is you have a log, I have a log, we have logs in our eyes. And if we remember to the point that we take heart in this, um, that Jesus could easily, you know, be saying this to us, not just the disciples, that we're involved here. But we also know that there is good news. The good news on the other side of this log is that God is full of mercy, and God is full of grace. God is full of forgiveness. God is full of generosity. And those that know and fear the Lord, he does not judge because he sees us blameless through Christ. He does not condemn us because Christ paid our debt in full. So throughout this, he's been reminding us that um, when we remember the bad news and the good news, it's going to lead us to be people that know they have been forgiven of much and given much. It's going to lead us to be people that forgive much and give much. It's going to lead us to refrain from judging and condemnation. It's going to lead us to be blessed. It's going to keep us from those oops. It's going to help us love our enemies. It's going to put us in a place where we can clearly speak to others in other people's lives. And we can be built on solid ground. And it helps us ultimately not to be hypocrites. So... Today, I I hope that I I reminded you that your God, our God, is rich in mercy and grace, and that we should never be afraid to call on him when we need his mercy and his grace. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you uh, for this day, this this wonderful sunshine, this wonderful uh, opportunity to gather with um, believers as a family. Help us to live out family. Help us to not just say we're family, uh, but help us to be and do family things. Uh, it can be hard when we intersect the world. Uh, it can be hard even intersecting with other believers. Uh, but Father, you have mercy and grace plenty. Help us to live in that, and let us help us to live in that identity. Uh, we love you. We praise you. We look forward to your return. Help us to be always preparing for that day.